Accountants, it's time to make it count. My name is Freddie Bennett, former accounting industry executive turned entrepreneur, business owner, change maker, and Guinness world record holder. In each episode, we bring you the powerhouses from across the accounting world to help you discover how to unlock endless possibilities, turbocharge your accounting practice, and make it count in business and in life. Thank you for showing up for yourself today. Now, let's dive into another unmissable episode of Make It Count. Welcome to another historic episode of Make It Count. And today, folks, we have got a real treat for you. We are now the fastest growing podcast in the accounting industry And when it comes to our guests, many are called, but few are chosen. But I am delighted today to welcome to the Make It Count studio, Viv Brownrigg, director and co-founder of The Gap. Viv, welcome to Make It Count. Thanks, Freddie. It's great to be here. I'm quite excited and I have no idea what you're going to ask me, which is probably a good thing, right? <laughs> exactly. The best journeys are the journeys where we uh, don't quite know what step we're taking next. To get us started off, for anyone that hasn't heard of you or heard of The Gap, tell us a bit about yourself. Where do I start? So I am a chartered accountant. I did uh, go into my own practice uh, relatively Young, I started off in a five-partner practice, and then a few years later, I uh, set up my own practice in the large town of Tupuki, which is a town in the Bay of Plenty in New Zealand. And I've actually been self-employed since I was 28, Freddie, which sounds like a really great thing, but it means that I'm probably not very good at being told what to do, and I am probably quite unemployable. But long story short, I set up a practice from scratch in Tupuki at a young age, and that was a great journey for me. Uh, growth, I was pretty good at growing the business, but a lot of challenges came with that. And I certainly discovered that systems and processes were pretty key to growing a successful accounting business. So that led me down another journey. And so I, I did the smart thing with about five people, the smart or the stupid thing, whichever way you look at it. With about five people, I created our own practice manual, you know, to mm. to drive everything, how you answered the phone right through to how you filed a tax return mm. and everything in the middle. And I had no idea that that was going to take me on a pretty exciting journey around processes that was going to take me right through the next 25, 30 years to the gap. So Mm. what happened next was we set up this practice manual and people started to ask if they could buy it from me. So accounting firms started to line up, could they buy it from me? And I I said, well, you could if I knew what it was worth, but I really Mm. don't know how to price this thing. Anyway, long story short, more and more firms started to ask um, for our practice manual and out of that came a business called Business Fitness New Zealand, Mm. which I established back in 2002, long time ago. And uh, what we created there was uh, a process-driven platform for everything from answering the phone right through to completing your accounting work papers. And we got that into quite a few firms in New Zealand, about 400 firms in New Zealand, Mm. before I sold that business to um, Walters Kluwer. Fast forward a few years, um, I met 
Mark Jenkins, and it's a bit of a famous story here in the Gap. And it's a true story where he, I was doing some succession work with uh, Mark and he bought his classic 15 red folders <laughs> in the office. And of course I said, what are those? I need to see those. And I was fascinated by them. Mm. And he was apologizing for them not being beautiful. <laughs> and I said to him, this is super important for the accounting industry. The accounting industry needs this. This is a business. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of where we started. So I often talk about that word serendipity. And um, it's, it's very, very real. So for some reason, there's some sort of calling for me to help the industry with processes. And it started with building my own accounting firm. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a long story, but I've done a lot of coaching of accounting firms throughout that. I do quite a bit of succession work with accounting firms. And it's it's an industry I'm really passionate about. I, I really do love accountants. What's not to love about accountants, honestly, Viv? It's a it's a magnificent industry, and we know there's there's so many stories to tell and so much talent within this industry as well. And I'd love to know. And as you say, you have this love for the industry, and when you you started off and, and you had the five partner practice, was it always uh, a childhood dream of yours to to go into accounting? And where where did those initial <laughs> were, you, were you running around the playground at school saying? Only a few more years that I can follow the accounting dream. And or how, how did it come about you you even entering the industry? I had no intention of becoming an accountant. Not once did I dream of it, Freddie. Not once. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to be a translator. I was uh, I loved really? I loved languages and, mm. and I love words. And here I am wearing the marketing hat at the gap. So now I was more into words than numbers. I, I was good at numbers as well, but I, I loved words. Yeah, let's go back to the childhood thing because mm. it's a really interesting one. I don't know about you, but I'm part of a large family, six kids mm. in my family, and I'm number five. In fact, wow. true story, I was called number five for six weeks. Brilliant. Because my parents, their mothers, had a long-standing battle as to what my name was going to be, what my mm. first and second names were going to be. So I was literally called number five for six weeks <laughs> before they finally settled on a name. So your life just started with numbers, basically, then? You couldn't yeah, even escape yeah, yeah, it? Yeah, I started as a number. I started as a number, and here, <laughs> here I am, a, a chartered accountant, which is quite funny. But the upshot of this is being number five in a large family raised not in today's times where parents are a little bit more of a hell helicopter view, shall we say. Mm. I had a lot of freedom growing up, which is another way of saying my parents really didn't know where I was for large parts of the time. Mm. And that meant that I wasn't afraid of starting something new, of going down and a new journey, a new pathway, probably not that scared of taking a risk or two, Mm. which is a good thing, but also makes me quite unmanageable sometimes (laughs) when I get what I think is a good idea. But yeah, certainly uh, where we are in the family and how we're raised can have a mm. have a big bearing of where we end up in life and, and the things we're prepared to try and the, the things that maybe we're a little bit afraid of trying. Definitely. I love I love to shine a light on that for a second because traditionally we would say with the accounting industry, accountants and risk takers usually wouldn't go together. But but I totally agree with what you're saying, that I think fear lies at a lot of it. And we look at uh, accountants wanting to market themselves better or wanting to improve their sales skills or wanting to improve the systems and processes in their business. I believe there's a lot of fear. The deeper level behind that in terms of what if we try this, 
and either it goes wrong or or I look stupid. And is that something that, that you see at all? Oh, absolutely. And don't think for a moment that I haven't experienced that as an individual because I have many times. Mm. I became a partner in an accounting firm at the ripe age of 28. When I look back on that, mm. I was far too young, you know. Um, and then six years later or five years later, I started my own accounting practice and I was full of doubts. Mm. I may not come across as, as this. I may come across as being self-assured and very experienced in the industry. And I am on most days, but I have bad days. And I've had plenty of times when I've felt um, that I'm an imposter, when I've felt that I'm not good enough, when I've thought to myself, you know, how dare I suggest that? Or what gives me the right to make that suggestion or to voice my opinion in this area mm-hmm. to the accounting industry? And sometimes I've had to check myself and go, hang on, mm-hmm. you care about this industry. You believe you've got something to offer. You're only giving your opinion. You're being diplomatic and careful about how you put that message out there. Mm-hmm. Put the message out there. And if you get a few knockers, don't worry about it. I I know what it feels like to experience this self-doubt, to sometimes Mm. wonder if one is good enough. I see this a lot in the accounting profession. And I I said to you before that I love accountants. Uh, Why do I love accountants? Well, not because I'm one of you, that I do understand accountants. Mm. I love accountants because they are smart. I love accountants because they care about their clients. I love accountants because they're unassuming. They don't blow their own trumpet. Mm. But you know what? They hide their talent and their light under a bushel. And sometimes if you want to hear some music, you're going to have to blow uh, blow your own trumpet, right? Mm. So where does that self-doubt come from? Where does that fear of trying something new, of stepping slightly out of one's comfort zone come from? I think it's part of the way that we're raised technically in the profession Mm. and I go back to when I was studying I go back to when I was going through my public practice course that there is a sense of needing to be right Mm. there is a sense of needing to know more than the client Um, there is a sense of what will happen what will the consequences be if we get it wrong and of course technically let's talk about you know, high-risk tax areas, for example, if we get it wrong, there could be some quite dire consequences. But what that often means is that because we're concerned about getting it wrong, we don't express some of the things we could to our clients Mm. in those non-technical areas where, frankly, no one is right and no one is wrong. Exactly. I think that holds us back. I also know from a lot of work I've done in um, psychometric profiling, I'm an accredited DISC profiler, for example. Mm. I know that there are certain work style traits, such as perfectionism, in accountants that are drawn to the accounting industry. Mm. We're drawn to that because of our logical side of the brain, which can often set us up for being a little bit of a perfectionist. And that means we angst too much about, Mm. you know, making the odd mistake here and there. So there can be a fear of starting and that can lead to procrastination, which is um, another challenge that I see in the industry from time to time. I totally agree, Viva. I love that. And there's there's a phrase that, that I heard about um, accountants in the industry. And um, when I heard it, I thought that 
that sums me up and it sums up so many others. It's the insecure overachiever. So someone who is so talented, so smart, so intelligent, so capable and actually overachieving in so many areas of their life and their career, yet they still feel insecure. We, you know, and we still seek approval. We still second guess ourselves. We still say, who am I? to be able to step up and advise this client or this business. And I think that's that's why the everything the gap does, not just the portal, but everything that happens around the events, the masterclasses, the training sessions, all of the content that goes out there. It's, I always say, it's like having confidence in, in the back pocket. It's like a shot of, of real true confidence for accountants backed up oh, by the structures yeah. and the processes. That's so true. That's so true. The structures and the processes you know, sitting in the gap are so important, Freddie. But here's the thing. I think one of the most important things, if not the most important thing, is what I call the top two inches. And that's what's going on in the accountant's brain. Uh, and self-limiting beliefs such mm-hmm. as I'm not good enough or I can't do this or I need to be perfect before I go to market. Those things do not help you anywhere in the profession. Mm. Um, And, you know, they hold us all back. Um, And so working on uh, those top two inches and your your beliefs, and this Mm. is your belief in yourself. This is your your personal identity. And this is why um, here at The Gap, Mark and I and others in The Gap team are working more and more uh, with with some of uh, those coaches that work with the mental fitness, mm. because once we once we help people to open up those uh, self limiting beliefs and put them on the table and see who their judge is, definitely, and and talk to their judge and actually put the judge where the judge belongs, and then bring the sage out. Mm. Then we see we see people start to actually blossom and believe in themselves, and then the structures and processes mm. take over. Yeah, if I that love makes that. Sense. No, absolutely. And there's a there's a phrase I always love to I always love to use, which is you can't outperform your own self image, and, no. and that's why that self image is is so important. And another one that um, I usually like to throw my own phrases in in the podcast, but it's how can you be a trusted advisor if you can't even trust yourself? And I think everything around trusting and going so much deeper than just the same old motivational phrases that we all see everywhere. I think it's, it's doing the deep work. It's actually understanding the true power and the true value that so many accountants out there have. One of the things, yeah, totally. Um, accountants are smarter, uh, more experienced, and more valuable to their clients than they will ever understand or believe. Mm. Now, for the remarkable few who get this and they have sorted out that top two inches and they have self-belief, and that's not to say they won't get knocked down Mm. some days because we all have unreasonable clients, right? I've experienced that. You've experienced that. But for most accountants, they have no idea how valuable they are to mm. their clients. Just for just one example of that, unlike any other professional, they have seen so many patterns of success and failure go past their eyes every 
working day of their practice life. Absolutely. They have so many true stories of what works in a business and what does not work in a business. Mm. Now, no other professional has has that knowledge, has that experience. It's incredible. Definitely. What they don't realise is that day by day, that experience becomes more and more valuable, more and more powerful. Mm. And that they're actually sharing those experiences with their clients day in, day out. And when they start to work beyond compliance and start to share those experiences in the business improvement world so that their clients are running a better business, mm. then then that is exponentially more valuable. So just, you know, every day the value of their intellectual property mm. and their experience is getting greater. I find that fascinating and yet they're so humble. I know. That's one of the things I love about accountants is their humility. Yeah. Definitely. And I love to ask you as well, Viv. I mean, you you mentioned in your own story to say making making partner at 28 years old. And then when you see so many different accountants in the industry, especially through that lens that you mentioned of being a, a disc profile expert. And my question for you on this is, do you think anyone, any accountant has got what it takes to become a leader, either in their firm or setting up their own firm? Or does it take particular traits? Oh, that's a great question. Look, um, absolutely, my answer to that is yes, that is that anyone can become a leader. Mm. The good old nature-nurture um, debate, are leaders made or, or are they born? Um, they are both made and born. Mm. Uh, but I can tell you right now that those leaders who are born can always become better leaders because of their experiences because of their the coaching they get, the mentoring that they get, and because they learn how to become better leaders. I've seen experiences within my own team here at The Gap, um, within the various teams I've employed over the years, where people have stepped over time into a leadership role. Mm. And we all make mistakes as leaders. Uh, we're allowed to make mistakes. We're human beings. We don't always get it right. I don't get it right all the time. But I have seen people who didn't have those leadership skills grow into those leadership skills. And today they are great leaders. Mm. But they weren't great leaders to begin with. You you know, um, <laughs> there's, it's a bit like um, training to become a great swimmer. I'll just use this as mm. an analogy. Now, you're not going to know what it's like to be at the Olympic Games until you go to your first Olympic Games, are you? Mm. Same with a leader. You're not going to know what it's like to lead a team of however many people until you're leading that team. All of the training in the world, all of the best business books in the world, all of the best mentoring in the world will not have the same impact of actually experiencing leading a group of human beings mm. and that's the challenge so I have seen people with no leadership background no pre-existing obvious leadership skill become great leaders so the answer is absolutely yes however and here's the rider <laughs> you have to learn some new skills mm. and you have to 
start to understand people a bit better, what motivates them, what demotivates them. The biggest lesson to me, this is now my fourth team of people here at The Gap, Mm. my biggest lesson, and it's an obvious one, but it's a big one, everyone is different and everyone needs to be managed differently. So our leadership style has to flex with that. Mm. And this is one of the reasons that I got into disc profiling. I wanted to understand why some people do things quickly, why some people take their time, why some people procrastinate, why some people have to be perfect at all costs, Mm -hmm. why some people are great risk takers but leave a lot of mess behind for other people (laughs) to to clean up. People like Mm. you and me, Freddie, you know, we're a bit like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, (laughs) So I needed to understand that so if you're going to learn to be a leader you need to learn a bit more about people because you need to be fascinated Mm. by people so the difference between management and leadership management a manager needs to be a credible leader Mm. the manager is probably a little bit more focused on processes and things melding well together Mm. the leader has to be a credible manager but has to have a deep fascination with people in teams of people and how to get the best from them. So for me, that's the distinction between a leader and a manager. Mm, I love that. I think sometimes people think of it too simplistically, like I'm a team member, I'm a manager, I'm a leader, but the the different layers in that, because I, I truly believe that we all have an identity um, that could be similar to a disc profile, but that doesn't really change. But then on the outside, we superimpose these stories that aren't necessarily true. Like I'm, I'm an accountant, therefore I could never be good at sales and marketing, or yeah. I'm an introvert, therefore I can never be a leader. Um, and that's why I see so many accountants being stuck in their career. And I always say, if when we feel stuck, it's because we're making a false assumption. It's because we're assuming something is true when it isn't actually true. Something like an introvert can't be a leader, an accountant can't be a salesperson. Um, oh, uh, totally. Um, so, Freddie, question for you. Question brilliant. For you. I love it so, when it's flipped on me. <laughs> uh, does this ever happen to you? Somebody flips it around. <laughs> so do you think I'm an introvert or an extrovert? Interesting. I would say that you, you're you probably quite similar to me, that I think other people would say that you're an extrovert, but I would imagine you classify yourself as an introvert. That is where I'm placing my bet. Oh, very good. Very good. I think very that's exactly good. how I see myself as well, because everyone's, yeah, it's funny, someone who runs a podcast sees themselves an introvert, but um, but it's true. And I think that, that does highlight the different layers. And how did you yeah. go with that? I mean, have you always known that, that you were an introvert who... Totally. And did you did you force yourself to be an extrovert? Was this just leaning into your <laughs> authenticity? How does it all work? Well, it's interesting. I mean, my closest friends describe me as a highly performing introvert. Um, mm. So I can <laughs> I can appear to be extroverted to the outside world. I'm very very different in my personal life to to what I am in my professional life. What I learned very early on is that if I wanted to be heard, I would need to speak up. Mm. And that's what I learned very early in my profession. So when I was building my own accounting practice in my early 30s, I learned that if I wanted to be heard, if I wanted to grow this business, I would need to spread the word a bit. And so I started uh, going out and speaking at federated farmers groups and 
other seminars, etc. And mm. I was very, very uncomfortable doing that. Mm. It was just so outside my comfort zone. I was perfectly happy talking one-on-one to clients, as most of us, all of us are. Mm. So I went out to Toastmasters to learn the dreaded art of public <laughs> speaking. Uh, and people are terrified of that. And I've now got to the point where I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. I'm still petrified for the first minute. But yeah, by and large, I love it. So I had to step outside of my comfort zone to be heard. Um, And I'm still very true to myself. Um, Mm. I'm quite different, as I say, in my my private world. However, I feel that when I'm in work mode, I do slip into uh, the woman who is prepared to express her opinions. And that's part Mm. of being a you know, one of the younger children in the family. The older ones are the practical ones who (laughs) sort out the younger ones uh, and probably have a less interesting childhood. The young ones get creative freedom. And so I had creative license and Mm. which is another way of saying my parents didn't know where I was most of the the time. But the freedom to express what you think, Mm. uh, that's what I hope for a lot of accountants who sometimes would like to say things to their clients but are a little bit... Um, concerned about how they pitch it or how they put it. Mm. You know, when they see something a bit disturbing in the in the business and, and and they really want to express that in a way that the client will respond really well and the problem will get, you know, solved ultimately. Mm. So I do think you are who you are. However, if you're introverted, you're introverted and you should be very proud of that, by the way. I think that the world needs to listen more Mm. to the people who seem to have few words to say because often they have the most to say. I read a beautiful book called Quiet um, years ago. and it's Susan Payne, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, that's a great book. That's correct. American author, Mm. great book. Um, And it's written from an American perspective. uh, And and it talks openly about, you know, the American way of how people cannot stop talking, but in fact they're saying Mm -hmm. very little. And the gold that comes out of introverted people because apparently we are a bit of a minority. Mm. So if you're introverted, be proud of it um, and it is who you are and be true to yourself. However, you're going to need to make that 20% extension. Everyone can extend. This is something that I learned from my just profiling days is that everyone can, uh, can stretch into another profile, maybe 20, 25%, not too much more than that or it feels unnatural. And sometimes we can step back from our current profile Mm. so that we are more relatable to the person we're working with or the client we're working with and therefore we build a rapport better and therefore we just get on better and we can get what we need from each other. So Mm. that's something I've learned. So if you are introverted, Learn a little bit more about those soft skills and just learn how to be heard and just stretch that extra 20, 25%. And you'll find that you will be heard and mm. you'll get what you want. Yeah. Absolutely. I was I, I I love all of that, Viv. And I was always thinking I could I could make a podcast for for introverts where instead of you and me having a conversation, we'll just sit here for 45 minutes and read a book and then we'll just record that and put it out there. But um wouldn't be a very good podcast though, but we'd have fun at least anyway. <laughs> I think I think you'd be uh 
and honestly, some of some of my best mates are introverts, mm. and um, it's it's very pleasant spending half a Definitely. day with an introvert because we can sit there for hours and we can just be saying no, not very much at all. But there's the occasional word that pops out of one of our mouths, and you know we just have a good laugh about that. It's so it's so peaceful. Um, and I have to to say as well, Vivian, I, I love your perspective on that, and I think. Uh, Sometimes when I speak to people in the accounting industry, they they kind of come at this approach where a leopard can't change its spots. I can't change who I am. It's too late to change. And I always say that's that's BS. I, I firmly believe it's never too late to become the person who you who you've always been meant to. I'll start that again. It's never too late to become the person who you're always meant to be. And and that's that's so key. It's never too late to change who we are and, and really truly fulfill our potential. I agree with that totally. Uh, I'm going to say it again. Accountants are very special people. Mm. You described them the other day. You and I were on a webinar um, the other day, Freddie, mm. and uh, I thought I thought you were brilliant actually. But you described accountants as magicians. Mm. I had never ever um, thought of it that way, and I thought about it further that night, and I thought. Mm, accountants are magicians and then I went to myself yeah Freddie's absolutely right Mm -hmm. you are magicians like absolutely you pull numbers out of a hat right Mm. and now that I'm no longer an accountant in public practice and Mm. I I haven't not sitting across the other side of the desk from a client I'm the client now Uh, a certain firm is the gaps accounting firm Mm. now I'm the client and I think like a client. So I had a question for our accountant the other day. The the financials for the gap had had turned up in my inbox and I had a couple of questions and I couldn't get my head around this one thing. So I asked Matt a question and it came back and he described it in one sentence beautifully and I understood it straight away. And even if I hadn't been an accountant, I would have understood it. Mm. And I thought to myself, Matt, you are a magician. Thank you. (laughs) You've just resolved this really important question for me. So you pull numbers out of hats. Now I'm going to say this as a non-practicing accountant now. Mm. Do, Do accountants have any idea how much the rest of the world hates numbers? how much the rest of the world does not understand numbers. Mm, It's a lot. It's a lot. So you are magicians Mm. if you can use the translation skill, and I suspect this is how I became an accountant, Freddie, nothing to do with numbers. (laughs) If you can translate those rows of numbers into a story that makes sense to your client Mm. where they can understand why they're not getting what they need to get from this business right now or why they're not getting what they need to get from this business right now. Mm. If you can do that, then you are an amazing magician and you'll have clients lining up definitely for business advisory services. So this is the key. This is if you can be the translator, mm. then you are the magician. Because guess what? Unless you're a weirdo like us accountants, <laughs> 
everyone else in the world doesn't love numbers. Mm. Unless you're a physicist or a statistician or a bank manager or whatever, yeah. the rest of the world doesn't love numbers. So sometimes it just amazes me mm-hmm. how little value accountants place on that. I know. I, I see that, Vivian. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. It's, it is about helping accountants understand every day that they are they are the absolute magicians of the business world. And, and if I have to ask, you say, coming from this world that you – performed extremely well in that you achieved extremely highly in this numbers driven world how does it then feel to leave the numbers world and all of a sudden be the co-founder of a tech company what goes through your mind what what fears what what challenges come up well well first i'm going to say that i really missed my clients the reason I ended up uh, setting up an accounting practice and growing it wasn't because i love numbers although i find the accounting is the foundation of business as far as I'm concerned. I can still, even though I haven't been in public practice for 10 years now, I can still pick up at a balance sheet, annoy the heck out of our operations manager by just flicking down the numbers in three minutes and going, what's that? Mm. That's not right. (laughs) So that's an incredible skill, but it wasn't what drove me to set up an accounting firm. What drove me to set up an accounting firm is I love people and I I believed that Um, business owners were uh, the loneliest set of people in the world um, Mm. without enough support. So what's it like now going from (laughs) (laughs) being a founder of an accounting firm to being a co-founder of what's become a tech company? Wow, it's been, wow, what a a journey. Uh, It's been a real roller coaster, if I'm really Mm. honest with you. It's almost 10 years old now, isn't it? It's been 10 years. Nine years years on the 1st of October. It will be our ninth birthday on the 1st of October. So very interesting because we started out life as a content company. Um, So it was all about words. So Mark and I, co-founders of The Gap, I'm totally comfortable with words and content. That's where I I had hung out in my business fitness days when I – when I set up that online practice manual. Mm. So I was totally comfortable with words. And and then, of course, the second part of the gap was that we're an education company. Totally comfortable with that. Um, yep, love that. That's fantastic. But now we've become a tech company. Mm. And that's a totally different kettle of fish, I can tell you. Definitely. That's been right outside of my comfort zone right outside Mm. getting to grips with that quickly and I'm having to learn very fast Mm. I'm having to to run to understand that the challenges of a tech company are very very different to the challenges of a content or an education company definitely uh now but but I'm loving it I'm like what I'm loving about it is that Mm. I probably quite like being outside of my comfort zone which is a very strange Mm. thing to say but um I like learning and I am learning what I'm also learning is that as we grow as a team, you know, we're up to 23, 24, 25 people mm-hmm. at the moment and we started as as the tight five <laughs> back in, in nine years ago. Mm. What I'm learning is that we're growing fast and, of course, there's lots of challenges that come with growth, but they're all challenges that we anticipate. Mm. And so... It doesn't matter whether the business is a tech company or whether it's an accounting firm or whether it's any one of your clients. 
the challenges are actually the same and they the challenges for me come down to kind of three or four things. Mm-hmm. Have you got the team right? Mm-hmm. That's the first one. What's not quite right with your product? Now let's just fix that. And now let's just make sure we are marketing constantly and consistently and marketing has got to be switched on 100% of the time. And I I don't just say that because I wear the marketing hat here. Mm. That is true of an accounting firm whose marketing department currently is the inland revenue here in New Zealand or the ATO in Australia. Still true. And fourth of all, who's going to sell the product? So we got mm. once we get the product right, we need to know how to market and sell it. I've got to the point now where I just use that S word with accountants selling. <laughs> because at the end of the day, they're gonna have to get over themselves. They're gonna have to get used to it. Mm. Selling, you all all selling is is solving a problem by offering a service. That's all it is. It's not shameful, it's not dirty, it's a noble profession definitely to offer a service to solve a challenge is a noble thing to do so i do hope that in 10 years time when you're when i'm on this podcast again Freddie, that, <laughs> that we can actually have a good old laugh about how accountants just use that word sales every day of their lives now totally agree it's just the stories that we tell ourselves and i told myself this back in the day you know i was brought up in a household where i was told oh, don't don't trust a salesperson sales is bad oh good you go into a shop or hopefully that person would try and sell us something we're given these negative connotations about sales but if you think about it as a way of communicating, a way of solving people's problems, a way of practicing a noble art of improving not only people's lives, but their businesses as well. It's It can be something truly powerful. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I think the other thing is that when you listen to someone selling you something, how is that coming across? Mm. I hear accountants talk to me about, you know, how they've helped their clients with advisory and when they're talking to me about it, they'll be they'll be relaying a, a personal experience of how they got a business planning session across the line or how a cash flow and profit improvement meeting went, went extremely well. And they'll tell me mm. the story. And you hear them and they are so <laughs> passionate. They are so happy. Mm. They are just like, because they really care about their client, right? And I just say, look, just keep doing what you're doing. This is authentic selling. It's based on empathy. It's based on your care for the client. It's based on your duty of care. The way you are talking to me right now, if I was a client, I would buy from you in a heartbeat. Mm. I would absolutely buy from you in a heartbeat because you can tell the difference between someone who's authentic. Definitely. Is telling you the story because they really want you to, you know, succeed in your business Mm. and they really care about you as a client. And the person who's pushing a product you can tell the difference absolutely and there's nowhere and that's and i always say when sales starts to feel persuasive and slimy and convincing that's because you've dropped into that mode where you're trying to convince someone you're trying to persuade them and that's usually an indicator that, that we need to do things differently and, and bring that authenticity back and and that's such a powerful message um and viv i'm aware that we're coming to the end of the episode as well i have to ask your your views on the future of the industry i mean we've covered off you know, yes, in 10 years' time, Make It Count will be at Joe Rogan levels of podcasting across the accounting industry and we'll have had you back multiple times, obviously. Um, but for the rest of the industry, how how do you think the next few years looks? 
oh, I think the next few look, years looks incredibly rosy. Mm. Uh, there is um, the opportunity for accountants in terms of provider place in their clients' um, business lives mm. is looking very good. And I think this talk of machine learning, <laughs> AI, I'll say that mm. those two letters with a word of caution, um, the algorithms that are going to uh, automate financial statement and tax return production. That, and I know there's some real, very real fear out there mm. right now, but that stuff's been talked about for years. Definitely. And it didn't happen. And for accountants, I don't believe that is going to happen mm. because I believe that people don't love numbers unless you're an accountant or a bank manager <laughs> or statistician. <laughs> so I believe the future of the account looks very, very rosy. I don't see those threats being major threats to accountants. I actually see them as opportunities mm. um, to get, you know, some of that baseline work done, put a margin on it. I believe that the small business, the business client out there still wants the accountant and will still want the accountant well into the future to be the middleman, the intermediary, the organisation or person that stands between them and the Inland Revenue Department. Mm. Because actually businesses don't want to deal with the tax man. No. They want someone else to do that. They want to get on with it and they don't love numbers. Mm. Now, our challenge in a, as a profession is to actually get our clients to become more financially literate so that they can make mm. better business decisions. And that's something we talk about a lot at The Gap. However, don't ever feel that by getting that knowledge to your clients, by helping them become more financially aware that it's going to put you on the back foot or it's going to mean that you're that our industry's at risk. Mm. I believe that small business clients are always going to want the accountant to be in the middle. They're always going to want to have this sounding board, this only independent person that they have that they can ask anything of about their business. And the person that they know is confidential with all of the other family secrets that they hold. Mm. There is no one else there. So now, this is where the personal relationship becomes extremely important, where we are a relationship-based business. And so if you want to remain a relationship-based business, and if you don't want AI and machine learning and everything that comes with that to take over the job, then you better make sure that you're making the most of that relationship, of growing that relationship. And this is why meetings, meeting with your client, not being remote always, mm. actually building a relationship through meeting with your client, either in person or virtually, is absolutely fundamental as that key distinction. Definitely. So um, I think the future is looking incredible for accountants. I love that. And it's interesting, isn't it? You, you know, we're in an environment right now where quite a few um, tech companies are, are, are making redundancies. and. Mm. I always say the last two set of people to leave the building <laughs> are HR and finance. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, so it's like people don't love numbers. No. People want you to tell them where the numbers are going great and where the numbers are not going great. 
and they're always going to need accountants. So I think the future is fantastic. I love that, Viv. And I tell you what, with people like yourself involved in the industry and with The Gap, the future is indeed bright. And uh, Viv, that brings us to, to the end of our episode, except we do have the final secret question. Now, as you're probably aware, <laughs> we do have the uh, the tradition here on Make It Count, where the previous guest gets to set a secret question for the current guest. So if I... Uh, Flip into, into, I haven't seen this question myself. Um, so it's a surprise for both of us. So, okay, this is going to be an interesting one. Um, so the secret question for you, Viv, is what do you believe is the number one reason why accountants don't fulfill their potential? Okay, that's a really good question. I'm just going to... Just going to take a few seconds. It's nice to be just put on the spot there, isn't it? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, uh, uh, it's a toss-up for me between two there, um, but I'm going to go with my number one gut feeling. Mm-hmm. I believe that the number one reason why some accountants, not mm-hmm. all accountants, don't fulfil their potential is that they don't believe enough in themselves. Love that. So now there's a now there's a little subset in there. Mm-hmm. They have been raised to be technically correct and to not take risks. Now that interferes with their self belief. Mm. Am I right enough? Am I good enough? Can I do this? Do I have all of the answers? Mm. Hell, no one's got all the answers. (laughs) You don't have to have the answers in business advisory. Actually, your client's got 80% of the answers. The skill is in drawing those answers out from the clients, helping them to make sense of those answers in the form of clear, smart goals, and then making sure they execute on those goals by providing accountability. So mm-hmm. I can do it. The work on work on your self-confidence, work on your mm-hmm. self-belief, work on your personal identity. And this is why we're doing some really important work with the likes mm-hmm. of Simone Liley and others in the in the mental fitness space because it makes a massive difference. Um, Definitely. To how people perform and how they uh, fulfill their own potential here. Absolutely. Viv, I absolutely love that answer. And especially when you were just put on the spot, that's pure magic, which is what um, what you do in the accounting industry. I have to ask as well, if anyone has heard this and they want to get in touch with yourself, if they want to find out more about The Gap, how do people find you? Well, they can just email me at viv at thegaphq.com. They can head off to The Gap's website. You'll see my number up there. My mobile number, I think, is up there. Throw me an email, you know, and um, I get lots of interesting emails from 
people all over the place every day. So I'm mm. always intrigued and I'll always give you a response. And by the way, um, no is a complete sentence, I have to say. So <laughs> <laughs> the occasional, uh, the occasional uh, no does creep out there. But yeah, no, I speak to all sorts of people from all over the place every day. And mm. I'm always, actually, Freddie, I'm always thankful. I'm always thankful. This profession has been really, really good to me. I've been trusted by many, many firms to work with them, to sit on their boards, to mm. to suggest that they come into the gap fold. Uh, so I've been I've been very blessed working in this industry. I have to say, I love that. And the industry is blessed to have you as well, Viv. And we'll put all those links and contact details in the show notes. But for now. Viv, thank you so much. I've loved this conversation. I truly have. And thank you for all of your uh, stories, your insights, and indeed your wisdom. So thank you for being part of Make It Count. And we will indeed be having you back on a future episode. Thank you, Freddie. It's been thoroughly enjoyable. (laughs) Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. I hope today's episode informed, educated, motivated, and inspired you to make it count for your clients and your business. Make sure you check out the show notes of this episode for the all important links. Please hit subscribe, share it with the world, and don't forget to give us a five-star review. We love getting feedback on this show, and I'd love to hear which part resonated with you the most. Remember, you have got the skills, talent, expertise and experience to make a huge difference in the lives and businesses of your clients. The days of the bean counter are over. It's time to make it count. I'll see you on the other side.